In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, baptism is for sinners. Baptism is for the lowly and the lonely, the lost and the broken, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Baptism is for the sinful, for the guilty, for the hurting, the desperate, and the dying. In other words, baptism is for you. And baptism is the greatest gift that you have received. Your baptism is worth more than all the silver and gold of this world. Your baptism has made you worthy of the highest treasure of heaven, God himself. The sinless angels of heaven who marvel at God's glory day and night don't even have God as you have him. You have God as your redeemer, your savior, as the one who rescued you from all sin, from all death, and from all evil. When you were carried in the arms of your loving parents to the font, and when your pastor poured upon your head the water and God's word, God in that moment was saving you from all of your sin. As you were drenched in that water, that's when God drenched you with his forgiveness, his life and salvation. As you were carried helplessly to that font with nothing in your heart but the sin that you were conceived in, that's when God gave you everything. He gave you himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The truth is, this isn't just some wishful thinking or some nice Lutheran motivation for the day. This is biblical. This is what God himself has said of baptism. And so we as Lutherans don't add or subtract a word to what he said here. We let God speak for himself. And his word tells you of the great comfort of baptism. So 1 Peter 3 compares baptism to the time that God flooded the entire world. This is why Peter says, Baptism which corresponds to this, the flood, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So just as God made it rain 40 days and 40 nights to drown every wicked and unbelieving person in the flood, so too the water of baptism rained down a flood of Christ's blood upon you and drowned to death all the wickedness and unbelief and guilt that you had in your heart on that day and forevermore. So no matter how many times you've washed your flesh, there was nothing you could do to wash your soul. But God washed it for you. He washed the guilt from your conscience with the forgiveness of sins. Your baptism isn't just some symbolic religious rite that initiates you into a religious club of like-minded people. Baptism saves you. Baptism isn't your work. It isn't your act of obedience. It isn't your commitment or your own dedication to God. Baptism is God's word. It's his act, his love, his commitment, his dedication, and his undying devotion to you. Listen to what scripture says in Titus chapter 3. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
This is why it has never been a question for us Lutherans whether or not infants should be baptized. If baptism is our work, then infants indeed are to be excluded since babies can't do a thing and they won't be able to do anything for us and neither for God. But baptism isn't our doing, it is God's doing. The fact that infants can't do anything shouldn't lead Christians to wait. The fact that infants can't do anything is precisely why they shouldn't wait for their children to be baptized. Why they should bring them quickly all the more. Adults can walk and talk and drive themselves to church, but a baby can't. So you should bring those infants in your arms all the more. Because baptism is God's gift of forgiveness. Babies who are conceived and born in the iniquity of their fathers are in need of God's forgiveness. They're in need of the love and salvation of their dear Father in heaven. So this is why you were brought to the font. And this is the place where God has promised to be for you. To receive you into his loving arms forever. So if that wasn't enough to move you to run to the font, remember that the very first sermon that Peter preached after Jesus' ascension to the multitudes was on baptism. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preached this. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This promise is for you and for your children. It's for those whom the Lord has called to himself. And who is our Lord called to himself? Remember, he says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such as these belongs the kingdom of heaven. God has given us baptism because it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, baptism is for sinners. It's for sinners in need of salvation. Baptism is for you. But what about Jesus? What's happening today? Jesus is no sinner, and he needs no saving. And yet today, on this very Sunday, we remember the baptism of our Lord. This Sunday, Jesus finds himself in the same waters of the Jordan that Joshua, Elijah, and Elisha parted down the middle, the same waters that healed Naaman the leper. Today, Jesus stands in the presence of John the baptizer, who was proclaiming a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So why in the world is Jesus baptized? Why is he in those waters? What is he doing there? To be honest... John the baptizer was just as perplexed as you and I are. In fact, John tried to prevent Jesus from being in that place. He said, look, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you're the one coming to me for baptism. In other words, everything is backwards today. John is standing where Jesus should be standing, and Jesus is standing where John should be standing. And yet, how does Jesus respond in this moment? He says, permit it, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So I hope you caught that. Jesus doesn't say, for thus it is fitting for me to fulfill all righteousness. He says, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness means to make things right and perfect again, to make it the way it should be. So why does Jesus say us 
What does John, a sinner, have to do with the sinless Jesus fulfilling all righteousness in this world? Well, because by being baptized in the Jordan by John, Jesus manifested the great exchange between sinners and God that he came to accomplish. To put it another way, once John the baptizer points out that Jesus was standing where John should be standing, once John realized that everything was backwards, Jesus says, yeah, I know. And that's the point. And this is how we will make all things right when I stand in your place and you will then stand in mine. This is why Christ was baptized. He didn't need to be baptized, but we needed him to be baptized. We needed him to stand where we are supposed to stand. We needed him to be where we're supposed to be. Christ came to fulfill all righteousness. This means he came to be obedient to the Father unto death, even death on a cross. Christ came to give us the righteousness that we could never achieve, the perfection that we could never attain. He came to live the perfect and holy life as your substitute, as a substitute for every sinner in this world before the face of the Father. He not only came to live the life that we needed to live, he came to suffer the suffering we ought to suffer. And he came to die the death that we needed to die. He came to give God what we owed him. He came to pay all of our debts. He came not with silver or with gold, but with his flesh and blood. He came to suffer and die on the cross to receive the divine and just punishment against all the unrighteous deeds of every sinner, all the unrighteous deeds of your life, all the un, un, uh, uh, unholy thoughts, unholy words, and unholy deeds that you have done. He has come to take them upon himself. Christ came to fulfill this righteousness actively as he thought, as he spoke, and as he did. And he came to fulfill it passively, as he suffered persecution and pain for the sake of that word. So this day, nothing is now how it should have been, and yet it is. Nothing is how it was anymore. Everything is backwards today because Christ came to reverse the curse of sin and death on you by suffering that curse. He came to stand where you should be and he came to stand in your place, to take your place, to be found in all the places that you were supposed to be found in. Today, we and Jesus are in those same waters, yet our baptism are, are opposing images of each other, a mirror or a flipped images. They're, they're, they're backwards, they're inverted, and they're reversed. Our baptism was a baptism of life and salvation. But only because Jesus' baptism was a baptism of death and condemnation. The full baptism that he would receive is not the water that was poured upon him, but the water that was flowed out of him and the blood that poured out of his veins. He who knew no sin was made to be sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. When he was baptized, he was there manifesting himself showing himself why he came. That he came to drink from the cup that you should have drank from. That he came to take your place in that cold and lowly manger. That he came to take your place on that blood-soaked cross and God-forsaken cross there. He came to take your place in that dark and lifeless tomb. Christ came to do the Father's will. He came to exchange his life for yours. 
to take all of your sin and to give you all of his righteousness. When Christ was baptized, the entire Trinity confirmed what Christ came to do. As Christ stood in those waters where sinners should be, the Father was pleased with his beloved Son, numbering himself with sinners as he spoke from heaven. And the Holy Spirit then descends upon Christ like a dove, teaching us that Christ is the dry ground of our salvation. Know that as the heavens were opened above the head of Jesus, so too the door of heaven began to be opened for you when Christ took your place on this earth. And that door was ripped off its hinges when he poured out the blood and water of his body for you. When he gave up his spirit in death for you. When he breathed again on that Easter morning. Dear saints, in baptism, Christ took your place on this earth that you would have his place in heaven. Christ came to number himself with sinners so that you would be numbered with his saints. By inverting his place with sinners, Christ took your place to accomplish the righteousness that you need to stand before your Father in heaven. Baptism is never about what you've done. It's never about your good works or your sincerity or your obedience. It's about the obedience of Christ and what he has done in your stead. Baptism is where Christ leaves the perfect goodness that God required of you, where he gives it to you with full measure. So don't despise your baptism. Don't neglect it. Don't forget it for one second. If you were in that water alone, then you would be lost forever. But God was with you in that water, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was in that water waiting to take your place on the cross as the Son suffers all that you were supposed to suffer and give you everything he had in you. So cling to Christ in baptism. Because in baptism, you have Christ, and Christ has you. Hear the words of the hymn. To Jordan came the Christ our Lord to do his Father's pleasure. Baptized by John, the Father's word was given us to treasure. This heavenly washing now shall be a cleansing from transgression, and by his blood and agony, release from death's oppression, a new life now awaits us. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.